And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Jake Shapiro. I'm Will Peterson. We'll be with you for the next hour and a half. Bonus DST tonight, taking you all the way up to the Avalanche and Kraken. Game 5 at Ball Arena. James Merrillat will join us at 7. Jake, we've got a lot to unpack today. Look at me. I'm sitting next to a superstar journalist. Superstar journalist, just the way D-Max says Michael Porter Jr. is a superstar uh, nugget. I, 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 I don't know about superstar. I'm just doing my job. Clock in one day at a time. You know, all that stuff, Will. All right. Well, let's reset it for those who missed it. You did break a big story that is now everywhere. Uh, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, TMZ, Bleacher Report. List goes on and on that Anthony Edwards has been charged with two counts of third-degree assault for swinging a chair, hitting a couple ball arena employees last night. Reset it for us. What do we know? Obviously, the series is over, but the Nuggets and Timberwolves still making news. Yeah, so... We all saw on the broadcaster, if you were there, the end of the Nuggets game, which included Anthony Edwards trying to tie up the game with a three-point shot at the last second that would have sent it into overtime. He misses the shot, runs straight off the court. No gathering with anyone else, no handshakes, nothing like that. Sprints off the court, and as he's leaving the floor, grabs a folding chair and swings it around, according to both law enforcement uh, and sources there on the scene. And you can see this at least partially on the NBA TV broadcast. Hits two different Ball Arena employees. One, I believe, was a subcontractor working for Argus, both of whom were female and both of whom were... Argus is security? Argus is security, yep. yep. Both of whom were injured, um, None, neither seriously. And then uh, the Timberwolves bus was stopped before they could leave as Anthony Edwards was cited for two counts of third-degree assault, which uh, carries charges of up to 18 months in prison, which I doubt is going to happen, but that's the extreme that's the version maximum. of it. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah, he's not going to jail for this, but it is. But you're right. You're just reporting the facts. It is possible. That is the biggest sentence he could get. Uh, class 1 misdemeanor from Edwards. The Timberwolves released some BS statement, quote, we are aware of the alleged incident, I love how they call it alleged. It's like, well, there's a copy of a police report we have, so it's not alleged, uh, regarding Anthony Edwards following Game 5 in Denver and are in the process of gathering more information. We have no further comment at this moment. Okay, I get it. The team has to say something, cover their butts, but I do think it's kind of funny that they call it alleged um, when, again, we have copies of said police The report. police literally offered or, or issued a citation to Anthony Edwards. There's no doubt that something occurred. Yes. Did he allegedly hit two people with the chair? Sure. That's hard to see on camera, but there's no doubt that something happened. And I believe I, ju- I just sent you another video, Will, of an angle I hadn't seen yet until minutes ago of uh, Anthony Edwards walking off and swinging this chair. And, you know, this isn't like some violent, vicious thing. It's just him being frustrated and doing something that was a little stupid. Yeah, I don't think this is a WWF stunt where he's like trying to actively harm these women with this chair. I think his emotions got the best of him. He's ticked off. He just missed the shot to send it to OT. His season is now over, and he lets his, like I said, his emotions get the best of him. He's flailing around a chair. Can't be flailing around a chair in tight quarters like that. Right, right. And it's a shame because it overshadows uh, an all-star season and a... He was over 31 points per game in this playoff series. He was awesome. He was maybe the best player in this series. Um, and sadly, this isn't the first time Anthony Edwards has had an off-court incident in the offseason that has garnered some attention. Um, you know, from the Nuggets' perspective, it's, uh, you know, we're not talking about the game right now and their awesome time advancing in the series. We're talking about Anthony Edwards instead, which is by far, again, a bigger news story. But, yeah, uh, just not the way you would want your season to end if you're Anthony Edwards. And uh, he'll be back here in June for a court date. Yeah, he does have court in June. We'll see if, you know, I don't know if things can get settled before then or what. I bet the last thing he wants to do in his summer is fly to Denver and show up at a courthouse at 8 a.m. But that's what he's been summoned to do. So unless they get it resolved before then, legally, that is what he has to do. All right, you can read about it at denversports.com. But uh, we'll get into the avalanche momentarily. Let's talk about that game, though, Jake, because the Nuggets get the gentleman sweep over the T-Wolves. And 
I tweeted it last night. I think most people predicted a gentleman's sweep. I, most people, it seemed, Nuggets and Five was the, the prediction that was being tossed around the most. And listen, they didn't have a good game. But the fact they were up one at halftime was a minor miracle. And then the second half, they did just enough to win. And Nikola Jokic had a triple-double on arguably the worst shooting night of his career. So the fact that they found a way to win, that's what good teams do this time of year. Uh, that was my biggest takeaway. If Jokic can miss 21 shots and you can still win the game, that's a good thing. Michael Porter didn't score until midway through the fourth quarter. Right. Like, you know, in, in no way, shape, or form should the Nuggets be winning games like that. And the Game 3 game as well, a lot of things didn't go the Nuggets' way. So this is the second time the Nuggets won a game in this series where it wasn't really a great game from the Nuggets. That's awesome that they're winning games that aren't going their way. They're showing ways to win that aren't uh, their prototypical style. Exactly. Jamal, Yeah, and Jamal Murray was fantastic. He really buoyed the Nuggets. I tweeted out a picture of a life ro- uh, raft because he was really just saving them. Um, and he kept them from having to go back to Minnesota. Uh, I thought Bruce Brown was just fantastic, showed his versatility on defense as well as some of the things he can do on offense in the game. And it's this depth and having Jamal Murray who can buoy you and having Michael Porter who isn't having a good night come in at the end and hit a couple big shots. That is the reason why the supporting cast around Nikola Jokic and what we've seen in the years past is just so different. Like I wrote about this on DenverSports.com. If you're going to hear any of this analysis of, oh, the Suns swept the Nuggets two years ago. They're both completely different teams. And I think that's key to remember going into the rest of this playoff run. What we've seen from the Nuggets so far is just about as good as anyone else in the NBA. Yeah, the Sixers swept. That's the only team that didn't get it done in five. Yeah, and you mentioned the Suns. I think what's fascinating about this series is Jokic said it himself last night. The Suns are the favorites to win the title, at least in Jokic's mind. I'm not sure if the oddsmakers have it quite like that. But I guess the point is that the Nuggets season could very well end in the next two weeks or the Nuggets' hardest series of a title run could be in the next two weeks. It's kind of like I still maintain the Avs, and I know Tampa's great. I know Tampa's great. But I maintain the Avs' toughest test last year was the second round against the St. Louis Blues. And if the Nuggets are going to win a title, just the way the bracket broke, their toughest test may end up being in the second round. Let me just correct you. Three weeks. This this series is going to take... Three weeks, and I think that greatly benefits the Suns. Well, like, if that's, it goes seven, if it, you know, four or five, it could go two weeks. But I see what you're saying. Well, even four or five, because there's four days off between games two and three. That's the dumbest thing. I saw that. I know. So the reason they I need think four days to travel to Phoenix? Well, Joe Coy is playing a concert, and, you know, Cinco de Mayo, and ah, who knows? Why are we scheduling concerts at the home? Like, I saw the Janet Jackson thing what in Atlanta, that? too. Like, apparently she's double-booked with the Hawks and Celtics game six. WWE going to come in here to Ball Arena, schedule something again? That's that's an all-time clip back in the day with Vince McMahon saying Stan Kroenke should be arrested for impersonating a businessman because he (laughs) double-booked Nuggets, Lakers, Western Conference Finals, and WWE Monday Night Raw. I saw Enos last night. Uh, that you know, ninety nine percent of people don't know who Enos is, but that's Enos Stanley Kroenke. En- yeah, that's 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 Stanley to you. We're we're close enough where I call uh, him Enos. He's your buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was smiling, uh, looked a little distraught, uh, and that's about it. You know, what? I've talked. He was to wearing a monocule though. I've that's talk- interesting. I've talked to Stan three times in my life. He could not have been nicer all three times. So I got nothing bad to say about the guy and his teams win. Uh, especially his teams here in Denver, both legitimate title contenders. With the Nuggets' Suns, though, Jake, game one is obviously on Saturday. How important is it that the Nuggets just punch first in this series and don't give up home court advantage? Because I think we're going to learn a lot about how this series goes after the first game or maybe the first two games because if you give if you give them one and they get the split here, that's just going to further the narrative, oh, Suns are going to take this in five or six. If you can go up 2-0, that's going to get people's attention of like, oh boy, okay, Nuggets took care of home court and uh, Suns got to beat them four times in five games. If the Nuggets go up 2-0, I could see them winning the series in five. If the Nuggets split or let the Suns win both, I'm not entirely sure that the Nuggets are going to actually even win this series. So I think you're right. Setting the tone Saturday and Monday is huge. And you're right about it being the hardest test of the playoffs as well. We knew going into this playoff, just because the bracket stays steady, that the Suns were going to be the likely second-round opponent. The Nuggets knew this for weeks before, which is why at the end of the regular season, the Nuggets played the Suns twice. The Suns played everybody because they needed those games. The Nuggets 
tanked those games. Didn't play Yoker. Didn't play Jamal Murray. Didn't play any starter but Aaron Gordon. Didn't tip those, their hand. Didn't tip their hand. Yeah. But one thing that they did tip was Peyton Watson, who's a rookie for the Nuggets, because they needed to play somebody. And he actually had a, a stellar performance in both those games. Uh, and he could be an option in this series because the Nuggets could be looking for some range and some length and some athleticism off the bench. But my point being is the Suns are 14-1 and with Kevin Durant. Mm. I didn't realize it was that good. That's crazy. Yeah. It's also really flimsy. Two of those wins came against a zombie Nuggets squad. Uh, A bunch of those wins came in the regular season against teams that were not resting resting or not trying or tanking. And then they just played the Clippers, who were missing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for most of the series. Yeah, the Clippers actually looked like that was going to be a series with Kawhi. They go down there, they win game one, they had a shot in game two. And then all of a sudden, it's like Kawhi's out game three, four, and five. And it's like, okay, well, this is this is over. Bones Highland isn't going to beat Kevin Durant. So, yeah, the Suns, they're scary because on paper, they have four superstars. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. But they haven't played much together. They haven't meshed uh, years and years like the Warriors have together. And you just pointed it out. Those 15 games together, how many real tests did they get in those 15 games? I bet I can count them on one hand. And that Clippers series, I mean, that's that's just a giant asterisk. Because guess what? Without Kawhi and Paul George, the Timberwolves would have beaten the Clippers. The Nuggets with Bruce Brown playing as the starting point guard, DeAndre Jordan playing significant minutes, took both games into the last three minutes of the fourth quarter up for grabs. Like, and yeah. You're that talking was about the two in The Phoenix? regular season games. Yeah, yeah in Phoenix. Okay. And, and granted, this was a month ago. But again, it shows you the Nuggets' depth. And it shows you that they have something for the Suns. And I was there on Christmas when the Nuggets beat the Suns. One of, he, one of my favorite games of the year. That game was awesome. Top three, maybe top five Nuggets game of all time. That was just... No, like, seriously. <laughs> That's like, a little dramatic. That I've been to, at least. Okay. Okay. Like... A, a regular season game. Yeah, like, yeah. top five regular season Nuggets game, like the the uh, Joker uh, game winner over Embiid that he, the Nuggets outscored the Sixers 20 in the fourth quarter comes to mind. Some of those. But it was just electric in there. And... Because people were partying all day. It was Christmas. Yes. Yeah. But... Inside the Nuggets locker room where people weren't partying, yeah. you could tell that they slayed something off their backs that had been weighing on them for forever. And I think they have had this Sons and Four guy and all this social media stuff and the Sons, 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 and who cares if Jamal Murray was playing or not. You guys got crushed. I think that's been bothering the Nuggets for a couple years now. And... They're ready. They've known about this matchup since the day Kevin Durant was traded. They've been preparing for this matchup. And I just really want to see it play out on the court right now because I have been waiting for this for two months. Jake, this is their moment. This is the the defining moment of the Nikola Jokic era in Denver, at least to this point. Now, I'm not saying if they, they lose this year that, you know, Jokic is leaving or anything like that. But with all the injuries they've had and the, the, bu- the run in the bubble and – the loss in Game 7 at home to the Trailblazers and getting embarrassed by the Suns, and you mentioned it, Suns and four guy punking the, punking the kids in Ball Arena and going viral. And then last year, the frustration of having to play the Warriors in Round 1 and Jokic trying to drag Faku Kampazu and Austin Rivers to the finish line. This is their moment. They, everything of the Nikola Jokic back-to-back MVP, the Super Mac extensions, the Max deals for Murray, the Max deals for Porter, Michael Malone as a head coach, a viable one, can he win a championship, can he not? Everything is building to this series because, Jake, if they win this series, the Denver Nuggets, in my opinion, are going to at least go to the NBA Finals, if not win the NBA Finals, because it'll be the confidence boost they need the next three weeks, defining moments in Nuggets history. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right in that if Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets don't make it through this, they're going to be the team that's perennial like, all right, well, they're not going to get it done in the playoffs. They're a regular season team. If Nikola Jokic breaks through against Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, three Hall of Famers, into the conference finals where they will be probably the favorites against either the Lakers, Warriors, or Kings, whoever come out, that is going to change the perception around Michael Malone, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, etc. So this is the moment for the Denver Nuggets to finally announce to the world on a real stage, at a real time, that they are serious, legitimate title contenders, and it's not just, oh, they beat the Boston Celtics on New Year's Day. Yeah, it's 100% the Jokic, 
can he win the big games? You know, he's won these back-to-back MVPs, and he's had playoff success. He's won multiple series in the playoffs. I believe it's five five playoff series now for Jokic. But at the same time, Giannis had all those questions. He answered the bell with a title, right? Um, Joel Embiid is a, kind of in the same boat. He's trying to answer the bell with a title, and, you know, depending on what happens between uh, the Heat and the Bucks, Philly's path all of a sudden could open up in the in the Eastern Conference. So for it's kind of like Nathan McKinnon last year. If we're just being honest, Nathan McKinnon sits there in a Zoom after the Vegas Game 6 loss and goes, I haven't won bleep in my career, and he was worried it may never happen. And then last year at the parade, he told 500,000 people, I guess I finally won something. So he did it. We've seen athletes do it. Heck, John Elway. John Elway could never win the big game. That was always the notion. And then he wins back-to-back Super Bowls to end his career. Like, it's just the moment for Jokic to get over the top. And it's a huge, huge, huge series, no matter how you slice it. And not that John wasn't still a great player then, and maybe, you know, if not the best Bronco, one of the two best Broncos on those teams. It would stink to sit here and wait for Nikola Jokic to be a diminished version of himself trying to chase a title when he's 37 years old. And the way cap rules work in the NBA, it would be very hard to accomplish, one. And two, it's unlikely Jokic is going to play that long. He's kind of made that clear. So this is seemingly the best chance, not only in the Nikola Jokic and Michael Malone era, but in franchise history that they have had to win a title. Will, you need a top five player in the in the league to win a title. You just do. There's a couple exceptions to that rule, like, you know, the Pistons that one year, and you could go back down and find a couple more. But you need a top five player. How many times in Nuggets history have they had a top five player in the league? Two. Just, just now. I, I don't think Carmelo Anthony ever cracked top David five. Thompson. David Thompson, you're right. So years and years and years yeah. ago. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, even like the 9 team, that if they could get the ball inbounds against the Lakers, I firmly believe they would have gone to the NBA Finals, beat the Orlando Magic, but they didn't have a top-five guy. They just had a lot of really good players. Chauncey Billups was really good. Carmelo Anthony was really good. Kenyon Martin was really good. But now they have Jokic. They have the back-to-back MVP. He may win a third. We actually should find that out relatively soon uh, here in round two. It'll probably go to Embiid, but Jokic will likely finish second. My point being, it's not like Melo was winning MVPs and then cracking the top two the third straight year. It does, it, it, even just during this conversation, Jake, it is feeling more and more real of this is, if they're ever going to get an NBA title, I'm not saying it's the best chance they're ever going to have for the rest of our lives, but it's up there with, with just a, a phenomenal opportunity if you beat Phoenix. I think if you beat Phoenix, uh, maybe we should start mapping parade routes. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, uh, Nikola Jokic scored 26.2 points per game, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists during that Wolves series. Wow. I don't even think he played that well. Like, he was he was good. Don't I, get me wrong. I think the wrist is still a little off. Yeah. And meanwhile, the wrist is a little off, and he shot 50% from three. Right. Like, and, and, and I know his two-point mark, especially yesterday, was brutal. Like, he just did not have a good day shooting, and I agree with you that the wrist is off. But I'll break it down for you like this. The Suns do not have paint protection. They just don't have rim protection. DeAndre Ayton is a good center, but he's not like this high-flying guy, similar to Jokic. He's a little bit more athletic, and he's just as strong, but he's just not a rim protector. And the Suns' primary scorers, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant, aren't guys that are getting to the rim. The Suns should get absolutely owned by the Nuggets in the paint in this series because of Nikola Jokic, because of Aaron Gordon, because of the slashers they have like Bruce Brown and even the finishes we've seen from Michael Porter Jr. as of late. So I think that's what this series comes down to. Can the Nuggets effectively just beat the Suns inside? And can that make the Suns shift inward a little bit and then the Nuggets start to hit those three-point shots? Can they play that inside-out basketball while, you know, and this is going to sound insane to our listeners and I can't wait to see the text line call me crazy, but... Kevin Durant. Are you sure you want to say what you're about to say? Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players of all time. I have like 10 pairs of his shoes. One of my favorite okay, that's players. Not, that's not crazy. One of my favorite players ever. One of the top three scorers maybe in NBA history. Okay. You're not at, crazy yet. At this point in their careers, Nikola Jokic is simply on a different tier than Kevin Durant. He is just as good of a scorer. He's a better rebounder, and he's a better passer. That's where I'm at. And, and to have by far and away the best player in the series is important. And I think Devin Booker might actually be the Suns' best player. At least he was in the first round. Again, at this point in their careers, Kevin Durant's been a far better player in his career. But that's the guy who actually scares me a little bit more. I think that the Nuggets have a better matchup with Kevin Durant and Aaron Gordon. I wonder if KCP can hold 
Devin Booker, and I wonder who's the Nuggets' third defender. Who's going to be the guy that guards Chris Paul? Because Jamal Murray might get toasted by Chris Paul, even with his size. Are we going to see a lot of Christian Brown? Are we going to see a lot of Bruce Brown? They're going to have to have some answers for this three separate points of attack. Yeah, the bench is going to have to be better than it was in games four and five against the Wolves, that's for sure. In terms of your Durant take, it's not... You're actually not crazy. I, I, I was prepared to be floored by what you were about to say, and I wasn't. Um, I, I've said Nicole Jokic is the best basketball player in the world for three years now. So I can't, in my right mind, say he's the best basketball player in the world and then scoff at you saying he's better all around than Kevin Durant. So I, I totally see where you're coming from on that. Uh, Durant's great, but I think it's a testament to Jokic's greatness that he is, in my opinion, just a better basketball player than Durant right now. But Booker... Aiton Paul is a better supporting cast than Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. For as good as they are, that's a better supporting cast. That's why I like when you start talking about the bench guys because maybe that's where this series will be decided because the Suns have four players. Everyone knows that. They traded all the rest of their good players to get Durant. Is there a fifth son that scares anyone? Not off the top of my head. It's the four guys we've been talking about. So I would say Durant and Booker is a better duo than what the Nuggets have. But I think at this point, Aaron Gordon's a better player than both Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. I think Michael Porter Jr. is probably on par with both of those guys. So if you want to say stack up four against four, I think it's rather even, honestly. Um, And then it's where the Nuggets depth comes in. And again, you have to go back to that Nuggets Sun series a couple years ago and how the Nuggets stopped Nikola Jokic because they're one of the only teams that have figured out how the Sun stopped. Yeah, how the Sun stopped Nikola Jokic. It was Jay Crowder, it was Mikael Bridges, it was Cam Johnson. Not there, not there, not there. Not there. It was a lot of length, and then it was the mobile footwork of DeAndre Ayton. They do not have that length anymore on the wings. It's Torrey Craig, it's Josh Okogie that are going to try and stop, and Ish Wainwright, Nikola Jokic. That's not going to happen. I, I like Torrey Craig. He was a nice guy when he's here. He's a good, good little player. He ain't stopping Nikola Jokic. And he hit every three against the Clippers. It might be a nightmare watching him because the Nuggets cut him for Facundo Campazzo. Yeah, that was a weird one. But still, I, I don't sit here saying, oh, man, if Jokic can't figure out Torrey Craig, Nuggets might be in trouble. Jokic will figure out Torrey Craig. That's not going to be an issue. Right. And I think Jamal Murray matches up well in this series as well because he's a lot bigger than Chris Paul. He can bully him a little bit. Uh, I think that the Nuggets' defense is better positioned for handling all the pick and rolls they're going to see. You saw them finally break out at the end of Game 5, them doubling and tra- trapping Anthony Edwards. I don't think they wanted to show that because they let Anthony Edwards cook for a reason. They wanted to keep that look, I think, for Devin Booker. But when you have KCP, Bruce Brown, and Aaron Gordon, those three guys can fly around and rotate just about as good as anyone in basketball, and that's what's going to be required. Your rotations cannot be late on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant because it's going to be a hit jump shot if they are. Yeah, the biggest series for the Denver Nuggets since the 2009 uh, Western Conference Finals, in my opinion. I'm not trying to ignore the 2020 Western Conference Finals, but we all know those were glorified scrimmages in a gym in Orlando. They didn't. They didn't feel quite as... Legitimate, I guess I would say. It was the best basketball I've ever seen in my life, and I thought it was right. the purest basketball Because it was schoolyard basketball. No. There was no defense. There was no crowd energy. It was guys just scrimmaging like pickup games, Jake. Well, it wasn't that there was no defense. There was a lot of defense being played. It was just that the shot making was so efficient, and I think that had a lot to do with the background being a lot closer and the environment being the way it was, sanitary. But if you want to talk about basketball being played in a vacuum or a test tube. It was quite literally that. So it was the purest form of basketball I've ever seen without any outside interaction, whether it be travel, whether it be anything else. Now, I don't think that's the best way for the sport to conduct, but if you were to go play 2K and like play so in a created arena with no fans, that's what it would look like. So I found it fascinating. And Will, oh, it, was fa- it was something to do. We were all on our couches. It was great. Oh, I, I, was, at, I was at the bar watching that. Uh, you shouldn't have been at the bar. It was outdoors. Four months ago. It was outdoors. But yeah. It was outdoors. Okay. You were socially distanced. I, me and George Carl were sitting sitting feet away from each other. All right. I was Six still, feet. I was still feet. on the couch at that point. No. I, I, I'm giving you a hard time because the, the bubble, Jake, it, it was pure, to use your word. Sure. But it was guys just hooping, and it wasn't real NBA basketball. It was glorified scrimmages. The environment we will see Saturday night is nothing like what was in the bubble. You Absolutely are correct. Not. Absolutely not. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, this is. I, I'd agree with you in saying that this is the Nuggets' biggest playoff series since 2009. It's a prove it or lose it. Um, and if they lose it, I wonder if we start to approach some of the same stuff we got to with Carmelo, where it's just like he's never going to get it done. Oh, if they lose this series, you know, there'll be questions about Michael Malone's job. I don't know if he'll get fired or not. It would depend on how the series goes. There will be questions about trading Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., again, depending on how the series goes. I think everything would be on the table except for Nikola Jokic. It is a fork in the road, no doubt about it. You know what Yogi Berra says about forks, right? What? When there's a fork in the road, you take it. That's why Yogi's the best. Coming up (laughs) next, the Avalanche head coach, Jared Bednar, gave us three one-word answers today on Valeri Nachushkin, and it actually helped provide some clarity about what's going on. Abs and crack in game five. Scheduled to start in an hour. It will start in an hour and 20 minutes because we've learned that lesson with both the Nuggets and the Avs. Take 20 minutes off the start time or add it, however you want to do it. Unless it's on NBA TV. Right. Nuggets started on time last night in front of a half-empty ball arena. Mason and I actually talked about that to end the show. Like, there were some picks coming out of ball, like 15 minutes to tip, and there's no one here. There's a lot of erosion talk lately in America. Erosion of truth of tip and puck drop times. We need some actual credibility when it comes to these times so the people, the American people, can trust what time events are supposed to start. You were at that game last night. In all seriousness, what what part of the game was the building finally full? Uh, midway through the second quarter. Yeah, yeah my fiance. Had that F- may help yeah. explain the slow start. It's not, it, yeah. it, you know, people on the text line were getting mad at Mason and I last night, oh, it doesn't matter, it's bad weather out, whatever. I'm like, I get it's bad weather out, but it's still a playoff game for a one seed, and they're going to start slow. That's what I told listeners last night, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, it, it felt like a regular season game to the crowd, and it felt like a regular season game for the Nuggets, the way they performed. So uh, the crowd's going to be much different if it starts 8 o'clock on Saturday night, which is going to happen if Boston uh, takes this series to 7 with Atlanta. If not, it'll start at 6. Uh, what'll be interesting is Tuesday night I th- or Monday night's tip, I think, is scheduled for 6, which is very early in Denver. We normally only get later start times. So I'm interested to see how people fight traffic, get there. I mean, I just got here at 6, and, man, I, my 15-minute drive took 44 minutes. Right. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That, that schedule, those times are not official yet, so we'll keep an eye on all those when they come out. But, Jake, we're going to pivot over to the Avs because – Jared Bednar got three questions about Valerian Nachushkin today, all one-word answers. Two of them he answered no. One of them he answered yeah. But here were the questions. Here were the answers. Do you have a timeline on Nachushkin coming back to the team? No. Are the Avalanche in contact with Valerian Nachushkin? Bednar says yeah. Finally, Bednar was asked if it's a legal situation surrounding Nachushkin, and the coach replied no. So, yeah, it's only three words, but we actually learn a lot here, Jake. Uh, First of all, no timeline. That's concerning from a hockey standpoint and from a personal standpoint. You know, if it was something that could be resolved quickly, you think Nachushkin would be back by now. Uh, They're in contact. That's good. I guess that puts to bed some of the crazy theories with Russia and military and government. It's not like the Avs don't know where this guy is. They're in contact with him. And uh, not a legal situation. Jared Bednar says no. Uh, Ariel Orsudo from Nine News asked that question. Former coworker of mine, I think it was an appropriate question and a good question for her to ask. So I appreciate that. Coach says no, not legal. Okay. Well, that means he's not, you know, in trouble with the law or the cops or anything like that. So how much does this help you and how much does this still just leave us all guessing? It narrows it down significantly because it means that Val likely did nothing wrong here because the police would be after him if he did. Um, Obviously, something is affecting him or someone is ill or he is ill because he is still in contact with the team. The timeline thing is concerning because if it was a death in the family or something like that, you would think like, hey, funerals on Sunday, I'll be back on Tuesday. Right. You know, it's in Russia, whatever, flight, blah, blah, blah. So the timeline thing widens it back out a little bit, and you and it makes you wonder what exactly. But the reason we're talking about this is because the Avs are in this series two two with an expansion team, and second year team. But I see your point. Yeah, an expansion team. Well, no, uh, no, they were an expansion team last year. But yes, uh, and they're without 
a significant chunk of their roster from last year's Stanley Cup run, and they're going to have to find a way, like they did last year, to win tonight. It's a must-win game for the Avs, and they're without Valeri Nichushkin, they're without Cal McCarr, as you know, they're out with, without Gail, uh, Gabriel Landeskog, and they're without all the other guys we know, like Nazem Kadri. So the reason why this is a story, besides something obviously going on with Val, is if the Avs were up 3-1 right now, or if the Avs had swept, it would be, I mean, maybe he's back for the second round. Yeah. You know? I mean, the questions would be different. You're right. The reason it continues to get more and more attention is because they need Valeri Nachushkin, the hockey player. Right, they need the more goal scoring. Outside of Game Three, they've scored six goals in this series. It's two a game. That's not enough. Other than Miko Rantanen in Game Four, no one showed up. So, yeah, it's got to be a story because we're not talking about some fourth line scrub. We're not talking about some guy no one's ever heard of. We're talking about a guy they gave fifty million dollars to last off season and was kind of a dark horse to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. He was the best player in the Lightning series. People forget that the Conn Smythe isn't just an award for the final series; it's an award for the entire playoffs. Hence why Kale McCarr won it. But if it had just been for the final, there's a chance Valeri Nachushkin could have won final MVP. So, and I'm No saying, doubt. I'm no s- doubt. He would have been my pick, too. Yeah. Well. And I'm saying final because in hockey, it's not finals. It's final. Well, there's one final. Right, but in basketball, it's the NBA finals. Well, there's seven games, so it's the finals. There's seven games in hockey. But there's only one series. There's only one series in the NBA. What but are you talking about? I'm see. This is why. This is why they ended up with final versus final. I also think it. Might, I, I've always wondered this, but I think it uh, might end up with uh, like the Canadian grammar, right? Where they add like O and U to stuff. Yeah. So like to them, it's just the final because it is the series. But to us, it's the NBA Finals because it's the seven games. I did. You're not you're not making much sense to me, my man. We're two writers. This is the least interesting thing that's happened on our radio station ever. But this is the things these are the things I think about all the time, Will. All right. So with the Avs, though, as we, we look forward to the actual hockey tonight. Okay, we know who's not gonna be out there. Kale McCarr suspended, Valerian and Chushkin, MIA, whatever. Gabriel Landeskog out for the season. Who can step up tonight, Jake, to provide Nathan McKinnon and Miko Randon some help? Or is it literally just McKinnon's gotta go ballistic? For the Avs to have a chance. Like, do, do we have to have a superhuman Nathan McKinnon performance for them to, to win this game tonight? Or are there guys on this roster you can identify that, you know what? He's played a pretty good series, and I think he can actually help tonight with some of this depth scoring that's become such a big issue for them. I think the Avs need a superhero game from Nathan McKinnon and something else. Uh, Nate, Nate, we know to be a clutch playoff performer, this guy who always steps up. He needs to do that. I would love to see like Bowen Byram be a guy who steps up because he's got some scoring touch and some great skating ability. It feels uh, like he's been really close in this series too. Yeah, like he had the one off Grubauer's shoulder that went off the crossbar. Feels like Bo Bo's due for a goal tonight. I think Bo's due for one. And you know, Miko has been so good. Too. Oh yeah, um, his goals in Game Four were ridiculous. Both of them. Both of them. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been fantastic. So where I'm at with the Avs is they need to get something from their core players. It's it's a core player kind of night. If you get something extra from Lars Eller or whatever, that's great. You know, it would also be great to see like JT Confer, who was awesome in the regular season, pick up a goal or an assist, generate something for Miko Rantanen on that line. Um, but I'm not expecting the fourth line to be the one that carries the abs tonight. I'm expecting it to be the guys that have been there before step up and do something special. Yeah, no one's expecting the fourth line to carry them. We're just expecting... Something. It's like the meme with the guy with the stick, you know, do something, <laughs> right? Like, give, give me something to cheer about fourth line. That's what made last year so special is you had the moments from Andrew Cogliano and Darren Helm. And we're we're not sitting here talking about, wow, unexpected hero. We're talking about McKinnon and Rantan and to some extent McCarr playing out of their minds and no one else really stepping up or showing up. I guess I should give credit where it's due. Devontae's outside of his bad turnover in game one has been quite good in this series. So that's another, and, and Devontae's Jake is going to have to run the power play tonight because without Kale, Devon runs, uh, runs the power play. So right. we'll see how it shakes out, but I, I just, you know, you how about some from a Tory Lekkonen? He's that's another guy. Yeah. He, he's, he got a lot of money this off season too. And he's had a couple moments, but yeah, like give me two goals from Arturi Lekin. And I think he's been solid in the series. He, he just has. hasn't yeah, he just hasn't come through when the Avs have needed it. So give me Arturi Lekinen, give me Bowen Byram, and give me JT Comfer supplementing 
a hero game from Nate McKinnon and maybe a little something extra from the Moose. And that's why you get it 5-2, Will. There you go. Jake's predicting 5-2 Avalanche. I like that. All right, coming up next, there was two pieces of Broncos news today. One, well, it involves Nathaniel Hackett. The other, Philip Lindsay. All right, so there was some Broncos news today. Aaron Rodgers gets introduced with the Jets. Oh, Jake, what could have been? We could have had our own Aaron Rodgers intro presser 14 months ago. We got it even better. We got the Russell Wilson presser. Did you know he said Broncos country, let's ride for the first time that day? Yeah. And I remember sitting... Well, no, didn't he say it at the hospital like days before? Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, I just remember sitting in the room... And he, he got done talking, and he just kind of worked in Broncos country. Let's ride. And I remember Broncos thinking, country, the, let's ride. I remember thinking at the time, I was like, "That's kind of cool." Like he's got a tagline. Little did I know, six months later, we would all loathe Broncos country. Let's ride. I still like it. No. You know why? Because, he's no, like, because he mumbled it after losing to the Colts in OT, and he's throwing two picks, and he's not sure if he should say it or not, and the fan base is depressed, and he's walking off the, the podium. Oh, Broncos country, let's ride. It's like, nah, man, that needs to die. Quit saying Broncos country, let's ride. He was committed to the bit, Will. I applaud him for being committed no. to the bit through highs and lows. You know, Tom Brady's got let's go. Russell Wilson had let's ride. But Russell Wilson is not Tom Brady, as he found he out He did eventually year. drop the bid. Do you think, real quick, we'll get to this Roger stuff, do you think there will be a new tagline this year? We ride again or yeah, something. Broncos yeah, Broncos country. A Bron- second ride. Broncos country. Get back on the saddle. Broncos country. Broncos country. Let's ride. The sequel's better than the original. Broncos country. Saddle up. Ooh, I like saddle up. I will be curious to see if he has a slogan this year. But Aaron Rodgers, fire up the Jets. The reason we are talking about this is because Aaron Rodgers goes out of his way today, Jake, to say a big reason I'm here I've got to mention is Nathaniel Hackett. Quote, I love him like a brother. So uh, I, I think two things. First of all, we knew their relationship was strong. I don't know if we knew it was that strong. Love him like a brother. And second of all, this just continues to poke holes in George Payton's assertion that Russell Wilson was the plan all along. You do not hire Nathaniel Hackett unless Aaron Rodgers is the plan. And it gives more credence to why he was fired in just a year, right? Like, you did, we didn't get Rodgers, so what is he even doing here? You know, this, you know, forget about the nightmare season. Right, he was supposed to be here because we wanted Rodgers. Right, that was the reason he was hired. And we all knew that. Anyone who ever thought any way differently is making a fool of themselves. And I've talked to Broncos sources who have been, you know, pretty adamant and said Russ was always our guy. All the details here, all the math points towards Rodgers was their guy, and they settled for Russ minutes after they found out. Rodgers would be unavailable to them. It was literally 90 minutes because I remember we were all disappointed in Rodgers and then the Schefter tweet came out literally 90 minutes later. Yeah, and I wonder if the same trade would have been available to the Broncos last year that was available to the Jets because the Packers had a lot less leverage this time around. Oh, the Packers got to be kicking themselves. Because they look at what they got for Rodgers and what the Broncos gave up for Wilson, they could have had that same package for Rodgers. Meanwhile, I they still could have doubled the draft capital if they just pulled the trigger on this last year. Given the circumstances, I still think they did well in the context of it being this year and all that we know now. But if they had pulled the trigger a year prior, I agree with you. It would have been probably very similar to the Russell Wilson trade, and they would have had you know oodles of assets for years. They could be picking in the top 10 tomorrow night. If they had done that trade. Well, if the Broncos had Aaron Rodgers. That's assumed incompetence syndrome, yeah, Will. true, true. I guess that's more an indictment of Nathaniel Hackett than anything else. But we'll uh, see how it plays out this year. Yeah, Rodgers is there. And uh, keep an eye on Broncos-Jets uh, being an early game in the season. Could even be a week one contest. Broncos country gets set for takeoff. Oh, man. Jets. But, yeah, no, that'll that'll be a great game to, to start the season. Um, there'll be a lot. It, well, we don't know yet, but it would be a good game. It, yeah, it would be. And, and I think... It's one of those things where it's going to mean a lot more to to the Broncos than it will to anyone on the Jets besides Nathaniel Hackett. Like, Jets fans won't really care, I don't think, about that game. They're not as personally invested 
in the Hackett drama. Now, they'll care because it's the start of their season and it's the start of the Rodgers era, but they'll just care for different reasons. Right, whereas the Broncos are going to want, like, vengeance. And Broncos fans are going to want to vilify both of those guys and prove that they've moved past them. So I think for the Jets... Not that big of a deal. It's just the start of their season. It's more or less a normal game, except for their offensive coordinator. For the Broncos, not only are there all the Jets storylines, if they do pick this for week one, but there's also the Vance Joseph storylines. Welcome back. First year head coach, Sean Payton. Like, there's oodles of storylines. So, Will, I actually wouldn't be surprised if this starts this starts the year at week two, not week one. We're all talking about week one. I think week one, you might want the Jets to open up at home if you were the NFL. Week two, you still have a lot of the same storylines for this. Right. The steam isn't taken out of it. You don't know if either team is bad yet. Uh, and I think last year we had the Brady-Mahomes game or something like that, week two. Like, we've had a couple big games week two that they've kind of saved all that hype going into that matchup for week two because you're already hyped about week one no matter what. Right. They do that weird Monday night doubleheader in week two as well. Broncos could be the late game on that one. All right, I said Philip Lindsay, so I want to get to this uh, for a moment too. Philip Lindsay spoke with Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette and had some interesting quotes. First of all, quote, I would love to come back to Denver, Lindsay said. That would be a great storybook ending to a big-time fairy tale. I would be ecstatic. It would be a dream come true again. Now, of course, Lindsay's currently in the XFL with the Seattle Sea Dragons, so I look at this two ways, Jake. First of all, Philip Lindsay should be ecstatic to get any NFL job at this point. Those are tough to get when you go from the XFL to the NFL. But then second of all, I do think I admire Lindsay for shooting his shot on this one because the Broncos have to add a running back, Jake. Right now they have Javante Williams, whose health status is more unclear after George Payton's conference call last week. They have Samaj P. Ryan. He's fine, but he's he's not a he's not a stud by any stretch. They will add another running back, whether that's one of their five picks in this weekend's draft or someone in free agency who's still out there, a la Philip Lindsay. So I, I think it's smart for him to shoot his shot as well because the Broncos have a need at running back. And I don't know that Phil Lindsay's that answer for that need, but why not give him a tryout? Why not send him a training camp invite, make him one of your what, 90 guys that are allowed to be on that training camp roster or whatever. Yeah, well, he should be ecstatic to even get onto a practice squad because he got cut from a practice squad last year. We don't know if Phil still has it. But you should probably give Phil a chance if he's begging for it. He's had 2,000-yard seasons for you, and he's a local kid. There's no reason not to. He might have something. He might not have anything. Who knows? But if you give him a chance, you find out. There's no harm done in doing that. Yeah, you mentioned the back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons to start his career. Lindsey went on to tell uh, the Denver Gazette, quote, I had my greatest years in Denver, and it would be great to be able to get an opportunity to finish off my career there. I wouldn't be there trying to be a starter, a star. I just want to play my role and help win some games and bring something to Denver. Again, saying the right things. I'm not coming in to try to take Javante Williams' job. I'm just coming in to, to be a role player on this team. Think about this. How different what Phil Lindsay's talking about compared to what Melvin Gordon, who's in a very similar situation, is talking about. And Well, you know, but, but Phil Lindsay doesn't drop the football. That's all Melvin Gordon does. I know, but I'm talking about in terms of, like, Melvin Gordon wants to go somewhere to be a number one running back still. Like, well, he's still... Don't get me started on Melvin Gordon. I know, but, like, the fact that you have a guy who's willing to be a role player and wants to be a role player is valuable. You can't have all Louis Deion Sanders. You need some Ford. You need some Nike. Yeah. You need some blue-collar guys as well. Phil Lindsay's got a good head on his shoulders. That is clear. We all know that. I've known that since I ran into him at the Sewell Dining Hall in 2013. There you go. And Melvin Gordon is, uh, I'm not even going to say the word. Like it just, I, I, don't, I don't like Melvin Gordon. So we'll just leave that there. We will move on from any Melvin Gordon talk on Denver Sports Tonight. But we told you at the start of the show... Um, or if you're just tuning in, we got a bonus half hour for you tonight going up to the Abs and Kraken. Coming up next, James Merrillat will jump on. We got some bonus Denver sports tonight. Jake Shapiro, Will Peterson with you for another half hour. Excited to be joined now by our guy, James Merrillat. James, Abs and Kraken, uh, about 45 minutes, 50 from puck drop down at Ball Arena. What's your vibe? You know, it's not the season on the line tonight. 
But it's obviously a massive, massive swing game in this series. Yeah, for sure. Huge game uh, early in the playoff run. I don't think any of us thought there would be this kind of game at this point um, in the defense of the Cup. And, and I mentioned this to Rachel this morning on coffee break, and I actually feel pretty good about tonight, and there are four reasons. The Avs have the two best players that will be on the ice tonight. I know they're missing a ton of guys, and I know not having Kale McCarr certainly hurts. But the Kraken don't have anybody as good as Miko Rantanen, and they certainly don't have anybody as good as uh, Nathan McKinnon. So that's number one. Number two, uh, I think the Avs have the better goaltender. I do. I think Gorgiev's been pretty good in this uh, in this series. I think he's better overall than Grubauer. I'll take the guy who led the NHL and wins in my net. I'm fine with that. Third is experience. The Avs have been there, done that. They went and, and went on the road and won a big game six in St. Louis last year. They won a, a, a road game at, at Tampa last year to hoist the cup. I know this is at home, but still, the fact that you've gone and dealt with those kind of situations, the Kraken haven't had anything like that. And number four is the fact that it's at Ball Arena. And, and I know that home ice hasn't meant squat in the NHL playoffs, but I'm going to put that on my list. So, uh, Will, those are my four reasons why I feel like uh, the Avs are going to get it done today. They're going to make us uh, nervous. It is, isn't going to be some 7-1 to one type of game. I think it's low scoring. I think it's like 3-2, might even be overtime again, but I think the Avs get it done. James, who needs to step up for the Avalanche tonight in Game 5? Well, I think the the easy way to go on that, Jake, is you look at, all right, who needs to step up from a defenseman standpoint without Kale McCarr out there? I think Devon Taves has been really good in this series. For the most part, I think he's probably been every bit as good as Kale McCarr, so I think he'll he'll be that guy. Bo Byram's had some moments, had some opportunities, um, just hasn't capitalized on him. Maybe one of those uh, shots on net actually finds its way in tonight. And then my pick uh, on coffee break this morning for, hey, who's going to shut everybody up was Sam Gerrard. I think Sam Gerrard's been kind of, you know, flirting with a big moment here through the first four games. I think tonight uh, he breaks through. They really need him to. So I think it's one of those three defensemen that's going to have a big night. Give me uh, Sam Gerrard to be the, uh, the, the surprise hero. Wow, some rare love for Sam Gerrard, right? I mean, most, he, is, he is one of like the most maligned athletes in Colorado at the moment. Yeah, I mean, most people were pretty upset because we we all did the math last year. It was pretty obvious. You could have re-signed Nazem Kadri if you had traded Sam Gerrard. Agreed. He's got a big cap hit. Uh, they won the cup without him. No one wants to see injuries, but did the Avs miss a beat after he broke his sternum? No, they actually got better with Jack Johnson in the lineup. And he, he hasn't done it yet, so we're knocking on wood, but... He can have some boneheaded turnovers that can lead to bad goals. We saw that plenty during the regular season. No, so he, so he look can. at you picking Sammy G up, James. <laughs> he can. He, he certainly can. And, and look, I, I was one of the people saying, trade him away. Use that money to sign Nazem Kadri. And, you know, the, the, the people that wanted to talk about, well, you know, five years from now, you're going to be regretting that deal. Sam Gerrard's much younger. Who cares? As I said at the time, it's all about championship window, right? And the abs are clearly in it. And, Will, you probably get tired of me saying this, but, you know, they need to be worried about being the first team to win three straight cups since the Islanders back in the 80s. You don't do that by letting Nazem Kadri walk out the door. So you can't get three if you don't get two. And here we are right now. You'd rather have Kadri. Worry about five years in five years. You're not in planning mode when you're the defending Stanley Cup champs. You're in win-now mode, and you kind of, you know, uh, throw the future uh, by the wayside at that point. I get that that's why people are down on him. I think they were a little down on him even last year. He makes some mistakes, but that is the guy that he, he's got he, He's got speed that is different. You notice him when he's on the ice, and I think that's going to shine through tonight. They need They need some people, some playmakers to bring that and to try to, you know, skate past a Kraken team that likes to sit back and play like a soccer team, I think I think he's the guy tonight. I like Gerard as a pick to step up, particularly because he has that extra motivation to prove something because he wasn't really a part of the cup run last year. Granted, he was a huge part of the team in the regular season. So uh, Gerard's a really good pick. Uh, I talked about it earlier, Will. I, I'm on guys like JT Comfer, Arturi Lekkinen, who have been really valuable but just need to take it up to another level. And again, if you're not getting the hero game from Nathan McKinnon, I don't think you're winning no matter what. Do you guys think there's any chance tonight that it's a Georgiev stands on his head kind of game? Man, that would be a pleasant surprise. Uh, we haven't had one of those through the first four. I know all the stats say he was a top five goalie in the NHL this year, but that's got to translate to the postseason at some point. So, James, it's interesting you bring that up because it wasn't really on my radar. But, man, if they could have, like, a 5-1 laugher and Georgiev is just just stoning Seattle left and right, 
that would be a breath of fresh air. Like a non-stressful game may be a good yeah. thing for this team. A laugher, if you will, down at Ball Arena. Gorgie has due for one, James. He is. He is. He is. And, like, even if you look at the other the other night, one of them was a, a, a shot that was tipped out of midair. Like, you got no chance on that one. The overtime goal, it's just, a, you know, a flurry of activity in front of him. But he had the other one that was, like, from his his right, you know, kind of off to, at an angle that he's got a clear look at it. It's it's a long shot, and he should have just gloved it, and he missed it. He had one of those that last uh, in the last game. I think it was game one. He had another one of those where even the announcers on TBS or TNT, wherever it was that night, were saying, man, you got you to gotta stop that. So he's had a couple where you're like, what are you doing? I do think overall he's been pretty good. He needs to avoid the miss that is just, man, AHL goalies would have stopped those. And then he needs a few stand on his head. He's had a couple of those this series, you know, breakaway here and there that he stopped and, and kept him in games. But, yeah, Will, to your point, a laugher would be nice. Uh, I don't know that I, my, my ticker can handle another overtime. Yeah, seriously, that over, overtime only went three minutes, and it was stressful as heck. All right, got to get your thoughts on the two biggest off-the-ice stories. Let's start with Kale McCarr. Because I went on a rant last night about how ridiculous the suspension is because there's never a whistle. So why are we penalizing the player when the the ref didn't blow the whistle and McCarr's just finishing his check? As children in every sport, you're taught, play to the whistle, play to the whistle. Kale played to the whistle. It's not Kale's fault that McCann doesn't understand it's playoff hockey and his body's not ready for a check because a whistle hasn't happened yet. I think it's a ridiculous suspension. I think it got addressed on the ice with the minor penalty, which, by the way, it got reduced from a major to a minor. How do you reduce it major to minor and then suspend the guy? James, I'm not a fan of this suspension at all. Well, I, 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 to me, the biggest outrage is that they reviewed it during the game and reduced it from a major to a minor, and then all of a sudden now it's getting ramped back up. Like It's like... What, what what are they watching here? What changed? It's the same play, right? Uh, it, it's sort of like when they decide to put a hall of, a guy in the Hall of Fame twenty years after he's retired instead of five. Like he hasn't played it down. Gail McCard, nothing else happened. So what? Why did it change? Downgraded and then upgraded. That's odd to me. When I was watching it live, Will, and I have not gone back and watched the the broadcast version, but when I was watching it live, I swear I heard a whistle, and I'm sitting there with my kids. I'm like, what's he doing? Why did he hit him? Like I knew it was a dead. The, the puck was dead. So I thought in real time that happened. What I think this turned out to be from the NHL standpoint was McCann is going to miss a game, so it's a tit-for-tat kind of thing. That's not how the rules should work. That's not how suspensions go. But I think that's what they're doing here is they're trying to level it up of, hey, you knocked a guy out of the game. All right, and he's gonna miss, he missed that game. He's going to miss tonight. So we're going to even this up, and McCarr's going to miss it as well. That's what I think's at play. The old eye for an eye. But, James, yeah. i, I got to tell you, I've, I've gone back and watched it ten times. There's no whistle. Oh, and, and, and there's just, just not a whistle. Knew it was dead and, and heard it in my head, but I swear watching it I did. But you, you've gone back and watched it, so I'll take your word for it. Right, and, and you're watching on TV where you can tell the puck's clearly going out of play. Kale doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. He doesn't know if that puck's at the, the McCann's skates. He has no idea where that puck is, and he hasn't heard a whistle, so he's doing what you're supposed to do. He's just finishing a check. Well, and if he doesn't check him, right, if he lets up and the puck bounces back into, you know, kind of off the boards and into play, and McCann gets it and scores, we're all ripping him. For, exactly. For, for being lazy. So I thought I heard a whistle. I don't know what the league has said in terms of the whistle, so I'd be interested to know that. But, again, you've gone back and heard it. I will take your word for it. If there was no whistle, then it is a totally bogus decision, and I get trying to even it up an eye for an eye. But, again, that is not how the rules work. It is unfortunate that McCann's not going to play. I don't think you got to be the – you know, maybe one of the worst Avs fans going to think that's a good thing that he can't play. You want everybody on the ice. That's nobody roots for that. Um, but that that's that shouldn't be taken out on Kale McCarr if it's just an unfortunate accident, so to speak. Yeah, I find it fascinating that there's a discrepancy in what the refs believed happened and then what the NHL's player safety office deemed happen. Uh, that's a fascinating miscommunication and interpretation of rules. But what I will say is if Kale was going to be, if you had the option of Kale gets a five-minute major and he's kicked out of the game or Kale is coming back in that game and then suspended for the next game, this is actually the better of those two outcomes because the Avs have the chance to replace him in the lineup and they're not going to be serving a major penalty, all things being even. Now, it's not good to lose Kale in any circumstances, and I'm not saying he should have been suspended or even you know, given a major penalty, but if those were your only two options of how this was going to play out, 
I think this is kind of the better option. Yeah, I'm with you. And, boy, it really would have been the better option. And, Will, I heard you say this. Uh, I forget which show you were on when you were talking about it. But you mentioned that, hey, if the first couple minutes of overtime, one of those shots from the abs, and they were peppering Grubauer, goes in, and this is a 3-1 series, nobody's nervous. No one's panicked at all. Right? And so to Jake's point on that, it's had McCarr stayed in the game, they didn't have the major, and they got the win, it certainly would have been better that he was missing tonight. Unfortunately, they had the the Manson trip and the power play goal that uh, beat him in overtime. So I I think people – and look, I've told everybody all the time, I wake up, my panic meter's at a six, so I'm the the (laughs) first one to want to panic. I'm just not panicking tonight. I'm not. I got faith in this team. I've seen them win big games, and I will believe it when I see it that the Kraken come in here and win game five at Ball Arena. All right, coming up next, Jared Bednar gives three – one-word answers about Valeria Nachushkin today that helped clarify the situation. And we'll give you our final predictions as Puck Drop is about 35 minutes away. She's a good girl. Loves her mom. Loves Jesus. All right, abs and cracking game five, the pivotal game. She's a Puck will drop here girl. in about 35 minutes, 7.50. Real quick, Will, what's, what movie does this make you think of? Oh, man. I feel like he's in a lot of movies. Yeah, but there's the, the most famous scene with this song. You're going to have to tell me before I embarrass myself. <laughs> you didn't Jake. ask me. Well, Jake, do you know? No. It's uh, Jerry Maguire. It's when Tom Cruise is driving his car down the highway by himself, and he's just belting out this song. Gotcha. Yeah, little Jerry Maguire reference. You know, I, I, and, and also, is, is Jake wearing a fedora with, like, a little tab stuffed into the top of it this press? Because he's like old school media today, breaking <laughs> breaking stories, getting scoops. Yeah, that's what I told him to start the show. We're you know most popular journalist in the country right now. <laughs> no, I've got I've got that little hat on that like buttons down at the front, the newspaper boy hat, and uh, there you go. Uh, I've got a pen tucked in uh, to my ear. <laughs> Very nice, well done today, Jake. Thank you. All right, so this Valeria Nichushkin thing, Bednar gets three questions today, James. Okay, he answers uh, one word for all three. Two no's and one yes. Okay. The no, do you have a timeline for his return? The yes, have you been in contact with him? And then a no, is this a legal situation? So we know that Nachushkin doesn't have a timeline. Uh, He didn't just disappear, didn't just fall off the face of the earth. The abs are talking with him. And in terms of people were worried, did he break the law? Jared Bednar seems to have clarified that today that he did not. Uh, how much does this satisfy you in terms of learning a little bit more about what's going on with Nchushkin with those three answers from Bednar? It doesn't satisfy me at all. I, I I didn't think there was anything where he was breaking the law. Otherwise, he was fleeing the scene of a crime. So I, I never thought that was happening. I, I mean, I think that teams will go to extreme lengths to make sure their players are on the ice, field, court, whatever. I don't think they're covering up a crime scene and getting them out of, out of dodge. So... That didn't help me at all. The fact that they're in communication with him, okay, um, that that at least is a little bit of a positive sign. But, guys, this is still one of the most bizarre situations, literally, in the history of Colorado sports. A guy disappears the day of a game in a playoff series on the road. They take him to the airport, and it's now where in the world is Valari Dechushkin? Like, what happened here? And now he's going to miss the third straight game? It's uh, it's unprecedented. Does anybody have an example of this happening in this kind of circumstance? I can't think of one. No, it's weird. I mean, there's no denying it's weird, it's bizarre, and the longer the situation drags on, the more awkward it gets, and it's why I have vouched for this is above Jared Bednar's pay grade. This needs to come from Chris McFarland or Joe Sackick. This needs to come with someone in management, some sort of statement clarifying what is going on, because for Bednar to have to answer those three questions today is frankly kind of unfair to Bednar. I understand he's the head coach, but he's the guy who just gets the microphone every day because he's the coach. Like, don't don't you think, James, this is Rivson above Jared Bednar at this point? Yeah, I do. I, I think that's I think that's a very fair point. Jared Bednar has enough on his plate right now getting his team ready to play playoff games. Exactly. He doesn't need to be dealing with a PR mess. And, you know, it, that's what it is at this point. And you try to think about their, their, you know, when they don't connect dots for you, you start trying to connect them. And so to me, there are two big things. One, what on earth had to happen that they hustled him off to the airport and got him out of Dodge quickly? Like, 
okay, there aren't a lot of things that could have been, right? We saw the report yesterday. It was an alcohol-related incident. I ain't buying that that was what was going on because to me, and maybe I'm a cynic, if a team has a guy have an alcohol-related incident, it's here's some coffee, throw you in the cold shower, and get ready to go for uh, for for puck drop. I mean, it, maybe yeah. that's a little slap shot of me, uh, the old movie from the 70s, but I feel like that's what would happen. So the list of things that it could have been to to necessitate him being taken to the airport and, you know, gotten out of Dodge again, it, it, it's, there's not a ton of options. And then the other part of it is, well, what could it be that you get no information on it, right? Like there was the Raiders player who, you know, left the Super Bowl the Saturday before the game, went down to Tijuana, had a bender. We all heard about it. Eugene Robinson, uh, you know, solicits a prostitute the night before the Super Bowl against the Broncos back in January 99. We all heard about it. It would have got out. So it's like, well, what what is it that requires that kind of privacy for a public figure? There aren't a lot of things that are on that list either. So this is a uh, this is a tough one to to uh, decode, fellas. As Dickie Dunn said in Slapshot, I'm just trying to capture the spirit of the thing. And we're just trying to figure out what's going on here, James. And uh, my take on all of this is obviously it's I, I would just like more openness in general. And maybe this is my bias as a journalist. I think in hockey, uh, it's unfair to the athletes and it's unfair to the fans who care so much about the sport to label everything as personal reasons, upper body or lower body. Uh, When we find out an injury like with K.J. Hamler and we know how bad it is and we're able to empathize with him and then he talks about some of the residual effects because of that injury, we're able to understand how hard it is for K.J. Hamler, and it makes me want to root for him more ultimately. So I think the being closed up aspect of hockey hurts ultimately hockey. I agree. And in that second question I was talking about of like, well, what would necessitate this type of privacy? Again, we're completely speculating here, but we have no other, re- no other way to go. Let's say it was some sort of mental health issue. Right, And you mentioned K.J. Hamler. He talked about the struggles he had coming off the injury and being away from his team and and all those kind of things. You go to some dark places. I I get that that's private, and I understand that. And if that's why they're not letting anybody know, okay. You know, down the road, in hindsight, I will certainly say I respect the fact that they they kept that quiet from everybody. But, Jake, to your point, you don't have to give us the gory details. But if we just knew, hey, he's dealing with some, uh, you know, mental health issues, and he'll be back when he's ready to be back. Nobody gave uh, Bo Byram any grief when he was gone after his concussion issues and just had to kind of get over that mental hurdle of it. Like I think everybody would be really compassionate about that, and it's a very simple, not a lot of details kind of thing. If that's what it is, that would – and not only that, fellas, but it would put a lot of this wild speculation to bed. Exactly. Right, like to some extent, uh, if that's what it turns out to be, and again, speculating – then some of these other crazy things of alcohol-related or drug-related or has to go report to Ukraine and, you know, start carrying a rifle. Like, all of that stuff is so completely unfair to have that ever attached to his name uh, when it was something that was, you know, everybody could understand, relate to, and be sympathetic of. That is doing the player a grave disservice if that's what was – if it's something like that. And I've heard this a hundred times since the Val News started of it's none of our business – I disagree entirely. Agreed. I'm with you. Yeah, there's 20,000 fans that are going to show up at Ball Arena tonight that spent good money to watch players like Val Nachushkin and his teammates play. And they care and put a lot of their personalities into this Avalanche team. What Valerian Nachushkin could add to the Avs could help this team. And a lot of people that are fans of the Avs probably care about him personally as well. So two people that say it's none of our business in the public, there's some things that don't need to be public. You know what? If it's a death in the family, which it, it seems like it's probably not based on what Bednar said, we could hear it's a death in the family. I don't need to know that his grandma has, you know, stage five cancer or whatever Correct. it could be. It could be death in the family. So I don't need the gory details, like you said, but just giving us something is a lot more fair to Val, the Avs, Avs fans, and all of us than it is to just have us wildly speculating what it could be. And this is why I commend Gabriel Landis-Cog so much for just getting out in front of it, in front of the playoffs, and going, it's unfair to my teammates to answer questions about me every day. I'm not playing. That's the end of it. This is my injury. It's really hard for me. Yeah, I mean, it's the unfortunate part of being a public figure, right? There's trade-offs. 
and the fame and the glory and the money and the fact that when you do something great, they throw you a parade downtown and there's 500,000 people that show up. That's all the really cool stuff. The downside of it is, hey, you don't you, you do lose some of your privacy. And when you go out to dinner, people are gawking at you or coming over and asking you for autographs. And it's, it's just you, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. There is some of that that comes with it. And it's a. A public figure playing a sport that gets a lot of attention, and the fact that it gets a lot of attention is why they make what they make. You, you can't have it both ways. You, you just can't. And, Jake, you hit the nail on the head. You don't have to give us a ton. Just tell us, you know, the, the gist of what's going on, and everybody can move on. So uh, it is a mystery, guys. And at some point we're all going to know, which is the other part of why not just get, get out in front of it. You're not going to keep this a secret forever. So why not just tell people? But, yeah, man, this is as big a mystery as I can remember in Denver sports. And um, I like to remind you guys how old I am. I've been watching this stuff for a long time. I can't remember one that's uh, more curious than this one. Yeah, and, James, you made a really good point a couple minutes ago that the rumors are now unfair to Val, right? Yeah. So so by not releasing a statement, you're just fueling wild speculation. That's that's another response to the none-of-our-business crowd. I, 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 again, the gory details aren't our business but I have his best interest at heart by saying these rumors are unfair to him, and that's why the Avs need to address it because 99% of the rumors would stop. Completely, completely. And, you know, most of the time the rumors are worse than what the truth is. It's a little bit like the cover-up is always worse than the crime, right? Like right. You just you admit the crime and get out in front of it, and people are going to be, like, mad at you for a little while, and it's like, okay, well, I can't keep beating you up about it, and everybody moves on. When you try to CYA... That's when it becomes an issue. All right, we got 45 seconds or so, fellas. James, give me a uh, score prediction, and I guess we'll just say the MVP of the game this evening. I'm going to go abs 3-2, maybe an overtime game. So I'm going to go abs 3-2, and I'm going to go my guy Sam Girard. Oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> Jake, go ahead. We didn't have time to play my favorite new game, What's Crackin'? Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll workshop that one later. 5-2 abs, JT Comfer. He adds the hat trick with an empty netter. I've said my prediction on these airwaves twice today, and I've gotten ridiculed both times, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. I like both you two picking the ass. For KJ, for Jake, for James, I'm Will. Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station 104.3, The Fan. This world is about watching some good friends.